0: And welcome to Not The Top 20 Podcast, sponsored by Betfair. I am your host, George Ellick, today. Not often I do the intro, but Ali Maxwell is away, having a well-deserved break, sunning himself with his wife on their honeymoon. So it is me alone Uh, for those who have listened to this podcast for a long time they may remember a very famous podcast of Ali's back uh, in the infancy if not the top 20 where I wasn't available and Ali did a one-hour monologue on the EFL happenings of that weekend I don't think many broadcasters could do that Uh, Adam Buxton Ali Maxwell not George Ellick Uh, I wouldn't bat myself to be able to, to speak without drawing breath for that long and so thankfully for you the listener That is not the plan for this podcast. Uh, I have spoken to Matt Slater, a senior football reporter from The Athletic. It just felt like quite a good time uh, after an FA Cup weekend to look at what's going on in the EFL post-COVID. post fan led review release uh, and Matt is better than anyone Um, we had him on the pod a few times in the past uh, going through that so I spoke to Matt um, and that will be coming up shortly here in terms of what's going on in the EFL um, you know it's been the World Cup my eye has been slightly off the ball in the EFL after the arrival of my daughter so apologies if in the interview with Matt you can hear some crying in the background uh, she is very young um, she's very healthy and happy which is great I am quite tired um, but it could be worse uh, but it's been a pretty normal time in the EFL I would say uh, you know things you would expect to happen uh, are happening. You know, Mick Beale is, is bringing as much drama to, to West London as his namesake did to, to East in terms of talking about the need for integrity and now being strongly linked to the Rangers' job. Uh, Colo Torre uh, is seemingly going to be manager of Wigan, if reported to be believed to the hold-up, presumably him trying to get out of his residency at Ali Pali that he has every Christmas so he can take up the role there. Um, Matthew Etherington has come out of... Um, Obscurity to become manager of Crawley Town, uh, assisted by Simon Davis, a, a dream for those of us who grew up playing, or not even grew up, maybe as adults played Championship Manager uh, 9900. Um, they've been working at, at Peterborough. Uh, Lewis Young, uh, seemingly pretty unfortunate not to get the nod there, but interesting to see how they get on. Just normal EFL stuff, things you'd expect to happen nowhere apart from the EFL. But when my partner in Crime Ali is back uh, next Monday, we'll be able to go through all of these big stories on and off the pitch. And um, we'll also be chatting through some of the stars of the World Cup uh, who play in the EFL as well. So um, you've got all of that to look forward to. Uh, we will be back. Normal service will resume again, as I say, when Annie's back next week. Um, we'll be back with the betting show on Thursday as well with Nick Goff too. So um, look forward to that. But here is my chat with, with Matt Stater as we take the temperature of all things EFL. I'm delighted to be joined by Matt Slater, senior football news reporter at The Athletic, uh, often focusing on matters off the field as well as as on it. And uh, you join us, Matt, from Qatar, where uh, you are, of course, covering the World Cup. So before we get into all EFL matters, um, how's it been out there? How have the, how's the beginning of the tournament been? And what's the experience like? Um,
1: It's, it's hard to say, I mean, because it's these tournaments are just... Insane, you know the the pace of them, and um, you know you can get just totally wrapped up in it, and, and and sort of forget what day it is. You forget to eat sometimes. Um, it's been it's been it's been okay, you know. I've, I've, sounds like a damning, it with faint praise. Um, I'll be honest, I didn't I didn't have fantastic expectations of uh, of this tournament. I didn't think it was going to be awful. I, I just I just thought there would be um, you know some challenges, some logistical challenges. Um, you know, and I obviously reported on the whole controversy around how Qatar won the rights to host this mm-hmm. World Cup and all the other various controversies too. So, you know, I had those in my mind, and I knew that I'd be reporting on those because those are the issues that I cover. And, and they and they have been they've been they've been problematic. Um, you know, there's a lot of tension between the Western media and and the Qataris, and and, and now the the wider Arab world, and, and that's led to tensions between. The media and FIFA, and so, so there's been that's been a bit difficult. But um, you know, also as I expected, once the football started, the conversation, the mood would change, and it has. And the football's been good. Um, the, the stadiums, I imagine, they look pretty good on TV because they're all new. Mm. Um, you know, they're they're yeah, what do you expect? They're, they're nice stadiums. Um, the volunteers are good, really friendly. The metro's impressive, um, and yeah, and, and the, the, you know there is a, there's a good atmosphere. There's a good atmosphere here. Um, you know, is it is it is it sort of a typical World Cup? No, it was never going to be a typical World Cup. What is a typical World Cup? Um, it does feel a bit contrived at times, a bit forced, inauthentic. But equally moments of joy will pop up half a dozen times a day and you'll sort of think, yeah, that's great, that's really really good that is that, that that's totally real, totally authentic um and it can be you know Tunisian fans, Saudi fans, Japanese fans, you name mm-hmm. it um and it's 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 yeah it's it's going pretty well I mean I I, I just I just remind myself this morning that I've still got three more weeks. Um, and see, it was, yeah. but yeah, 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 it's, it's going well. I mean, how's your look on TV?
0: Yeah, great. I mean, I, um, given my current personal situation with a, a very young baby, having a winter World Cup and four games a day has been <laughs> incredible. Uh, I don't know if my wife would necessarily agree. Although, for the first time in over ten years of being together, she's finally showing something of an interest in football. So maybe, um, maybe it's doing something yeah. there. But, um, but I, I, I was at, I was in Russia as a fan not working and kind of in hindsight I look back and I kind of remember some of the ridiculous things I said to, to um friends and family when I got home having spoken to Russians about about Mr Putin and yeah. I look back now and I and I kind of feel like I was almost complicit in what was just a big propaganda yeah. um campaign yeah. and, and I guess a lot of journalists out there I don't know whether you're in Russia and yourself' included must uh-huh. kind of I was almost check yourself from about four years ago yeah. and think as to what's going on now. And has that changed, do you think, the way that journalists and fans out there are, are approaching the whole, you know, more in the knowledge of, of what's actually going yeah. on behind the scenes?
1: I think I think, I think, think so. I can't speak for all journalists, but, um, you know, I did do, I mean, it's become a sort of commonplace now. There is this narrative here that Qatar's been completely unfairly picked on mm. and it's totally unjustifiable and the only possible explanation could be racism. You know, I push back against that because there are various bits that aren't true. First of all, there were some critical stories before before going into Russia, um, not least around things like hooliganism, size of the place, cost, and then, of course, Crimea and the Salisbury poisoning. Um, and it was a very diminished... Number of fans that went from Western Europe to Russia. However, it and, and Until telling started doing well. <laughs> well, it's, exactly. But even then, it was it. It wasn't quite the numbers you would might yeah. expect. Yes, but you're right. They did. They, they did rock up for the, for for you know the course of final. I was beyond. there for Tunisia
0: and Panama. You know, true. Uh, you know, true hardcore.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, that is impressive. That is, <laughs> uh, good. Good. Well, Panama was a good one, wasn't it? Um yeah. So. But I think there is a equally true that there's a feeling that Qatar has been under more scrutiny that we weren't um, questioning enough of Russia you know once a bit twice shy we've got to be more consistent you know if we're going to hold Qatar up to this standard we needed to have held Russia up to a similar standard and did we were we a bit sports washed I think by the end of that tournament we most certainly were mm. um so there is that is true. I think it's equally true. You have to remember that that there wasn't the same level of shock that Russia got the World Cup. One because it was perceived to sort of kind of be its turn. It it it, it is and was a, a footballing nation. It wasn't that sort of oh my God, you know, where does that decision come from? You know, Russia Russia's been decent at football for a long time, big place, you you know, staged Olympics. You knew it could do it. So I don't think the two decisions were comparable. And then of course there's just a slightly more time, right? Um that day, that was an eight year run up, this is a 12 year run-up. So you know I think in fact to all those things in it is it is true that looking back we were, we were soft on Russia and Russia was emboldened and um FIFA, the West, etc., took their eyes off the ball. And, and Putin came away from that tournament strengthened and, I think, convinced that he could pretty much do whatever he liked. And that's all on us a little bit. Um, but, you know, Qatar has different sets of challenges that it is still dealing with making some progress. It's not consistent progress by a long stretch. Stretch. It's not as advertised either. But it's making progress
0: from Qatar then to the EFL. Uh, mm. I don't know how we can segue that. Um, it's probably as far apart as a Harry Suter fifty-yard crossfield pass ah. against France for Australia. Um, yeah. we, we would yeah, yeah. It would be good to talk about the plenty of uh, EFL uh, players Lopes. doing well at the World Cup, but um, I think I'll wait for Ali's return next week to do that, and we can wax lyrical about all okay. of them. But let's uh, let's Fine. talk about the EFL. And you know, you, you came on this podcast a couple of times. Um, we had one, I remember, very sobering chat just before the COVID lockdowns, where I think Ali and I have spoken since and said that talking to you yeah. oh, for an hour or so before um before the lockdowns was kind of the moment that both of us realized just how significant and severe COVID was going to be, not just in football, but in all of our lives. Um yeah. it does feel like, and this might be naive of me, you know, there were some serious existential questions and crises around yeah. football and the EFL throughout COVID and in the aftermath, it feels like we've come out okay the other side at this stage. Would you agree with that?
1: I would. I would. Um, Once again, football, English, British football, showed itself to be incredibly resilient. And, um, you know, particularly, you know, the first sort of six months or so of COVID, coming into that second wave so much concern, so much doom and gloom. Um, A lot of negotiations, obviously with government, but equally with the Premier League, money, emergency funds, and, you know, unless they're amazing poker players, the people I was speaking to, finance directors, chief execs, chairs of clubs, just thought this could, this could wipe out, you know, 10% of clubs, and and leave them all deeply, deeply um, damaged. And, you have to, you have to say, well, well done. You know, you, you, you got through, maybe it was a massive panic and it was the great unknown that, you know, my God, this is so new, this is awful. And I just, I'm struggling to see a way out of this, but they did get through and um, there were sort of key, key moments of help that came, but I just think as a collective, they did well. I think we, I think, you know, the EFL as, a, as an organization um, gets a lot of stick, um, but they 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 did have, they had a good COVID. They had a good COVID. As did the Premier League. I mean, there are still conversations to be had about the redistribution of money, of course. But mm. Br- British football, English football, I think did did well, handled the crisis well, um, and that's you know that, that's you have to you have to applaud that.
0: When talking of the redistribution of of money in football Um, a year or so ago we had Tracy Crouch come on the pod to talk us through the the fan-led review Um, it felt like it gained massive momentum at the at the time Um, and as often things seem to do uh, once it gets past the um, you know the the stage of research uh, there seems Mm -hmm. to have been a bit of a block and you know we saw Premier League executives coming out and making frankly ridiculous inflammatory statements about the um the findings in the report comparing them to historical events that was just totally and utterly disingenuous um mm-hmm. and you know when Liz Truss came briefly into premiership mm-hmm. you know we were told that there was a likelihood that the whole fan review was going to be swept under the carpet it seems to have gone fairly quiet recently um, you know we've seen Rick Parry mm-hmm. talking in the media in the last couple of weeks still maintaining that it is incredibly important um, but mm-hmm. it doesn't really feel like anything is being done Ooh. where are we you know for, for those of us who saw this as being possibly yeah. kind of the golden egg and and, and the saviour for for plenty of, of VF, you know the long term future of EFL clubs um, are we in danger of losing what was should have been an incredibly important bit of, of work
1: we are in danger of it um, but as you've outlined, that dangerous sort of ebbed and flowed. I think with all these things, there's momentum, right? And there was a key, you know, the European Super League did energise a lot of people. And of course, that included lots of Premier League fans, but it got government thinking about it. You had a, you had a sort of populist government at the time that um, thought a lot about Red Bull votes and, um, And there is this perception that that those guys are football fans. Um, So Tracy Crouch was, away you go, you know, see what you can find out. And um, she's a fantastic piece of work. Right at the beginning, though, I was concerned that there have been so many of these kind of restart moments in, in, in English football over the years. And they all tend to dissipate. They all tend unless they're incredibly focused, like laser like focus, they they become very easy to talk down, to 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 just just slow down and and I, I worried about it from the beginning and the and the the unity of purpose around oh this can't happen again but it was like well what can't happen again because you've got at times, you're talking about Maxwell and Barry and very financial governance-related financial issues. Then we're kind of moving on to kind of breakaway leagues and the protection of community assets. And I just thought, and now we're introducing sort of a relatively complicated, certainly so it's a football element of independent regulation. It did seem a bit, where's the focus? I can just see the Premier League and the FA... Being able to put the brakes on here, and that and that's what's happened. I mean, there was a, there was equally some bad luck around. Well, depends what show you to see these things. The, the politics of the UK just just going nuts and massive distractions and who's really in charge, and and just legislative programs being ripped up. But you know, three three prime ministers ago, two I can't remember, again, we'll get lost. There was still you know, a commitment to this. It was a manifesto pledge. It was a Tory party idea. Um, It was a former Tory sports minister that did the work. Uh, You had everyone kind of signed up to it. When MPs from all sides asked questions, um, the standard answer from DCMS was, yes, this is happening. That's um, part of the culture of media sport. And the DCMS minister, Nadine Doris, was, yeah, 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 She she was fully signed up for this as well. All right, so then we hit the summer and all hell breaks loose and we emerge with this trust and the bonfire of regulation and red tape and no, we're going to go completely the other way. Light touch regulation in all parts of the British economy. Um, we're not really into that at all. Now, of course, this was music to the ears of the Premier League. We've been whispering in there, you know, whispering at them for months, as as had the FA. Um, so, yeah, we got... We got to whenever that was sort of August-ish, September-ish with, oh no, we have missed our moment again. But a couple of things happened. So the first was um, the advocates of the Fan Review, people like Fair Game, and um, there's lots of people behind the scenes, but the EFL really applied pressure on labor and got Labour to fully sign up. So at the Labour Party conference, I think you'll, you might remember Gary Neville, Keir Starmer, mm. Lucy Powell, um, you know, key Labour figures all saying, yep, 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 we love it. As soon as we get in, we're doing that. Right, so there you go. As soon as we get in, we're doing that. Flying high on the polls, government in waiting. Mm. That ap- applied pressure on the Conservatives. No. Very quickly, because there's so many things happening at once, this trust falls apart. She's out. Rishi Sunak comes in now. Rishi Sunak, not that long ago, including on the hustings for that role when he lost the trust, said, "I, I yeah, I, I still I still like that policy. I still sign up to that policy." We're in a bit of a limbo now, and clearly he's distracted, and that's fine and in the great scheme of things, this isn't as important as some of the other stuff the country's facing. Oh, Matt. He was a member. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know, I know, I know. Sorry, sorry, Liz. Sorry, Liz. Liz no, your Liz, audience. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. I know. Okay, it's massively important. <laughs> but, um, you know, you have a guy who was a member of that cabinet. You have a guy who not that long ago said, no, no, I still like that idea. We have the lady who said, no, no, I don't want any regulation. She's gone. As is her was her you know key advisor and they called I think it's, I can't his name now. So I'm mm. not going to say because I'll get his name wrong. But but sort of the, the key people in Number Ten, her advisors, they're out. So what's the problem? We've got a new sports minister. We've got a new sort of DCS minister who isn't a sporty guy. But and, and their answers, are, yeah, well their answers have been vague. Right, so. Once upon a time, there was like a templated answer that came from PCMS. Yeah, 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 white people coming, still like it, da, 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 da. So, so now it's white people coming, we are still consulting on, on the fan-led review, all elements of the fan-led review. So they've, they've softened it a bit, but I hear, I still hear a lot of optimism. I still, you know, people that worked on it, um, political advisors, senior people within the game yeah, you maybe know, you know they are mainly EFL people who are still convinced that we are edging edging being being the opposite word here towards pretty much full imp- implementation of that of that review including an independent regulator
0: yeah I mean the difficulty from my point of view is, is seeing how it gets implemented and I, and I don't know if you could help with that but when you, when you read for example, Baroness Brady's column in a certain national newspaper, where she seemingly gets to unchecked talk about how it's the government taking over football, even though the Ed Review specifically states that it would be the independent regulator would not be a government figure and would be appointed, you know, away from government. Yet, still, that probably turns everybody who hates government against the FanEd Review. Uh, and you think of the the power and wealth behind the Premier League clubs, and you mentioned there who are who are allegedly or likely um you know campaigning against this behind closed doors and then taking power away from the FA who again possess lots of power i mean it it does feel like and then you you have labor politicizing it further. you know we like to think that our politicians act with pure integrity out of what they think is is right, but surely it feels like quite a difficult. You know, it, it does the fact that a change of Prime Minister make it easy to, to take this quite awkward thing that's going to upset a lot of basically rich, powerful people and, and just say, you know what, let's just leave this and, and let Labour deal with it when they come into power?
1: Yeah, that, that is very much uh, a risk and a threat and um, possibly even a, a probability. Yeah. That's just the nature of these things. You know, if it was easy, we'd have done it many, many years ago. Um, and... Um, you know, this government does certainly appear to look like a government on its last legs. You know, fighting fires all over the shop. This is not a priority for them. New governments have the wind in their sails; they get to do stuff, right? They have a sort of wind of opportunity. So maybe, maybe we are waiting for a change in government. If, if you know, if um, this is your, if this is your bag, and this is what you want to happen, maybe that is your best chance. But however, I, there, there, are, it's. It's not all Premier League clubs are against this. They are. They are not a um, homogenous block. There are there are clubs who are massively opposed. Uh, there are clubs who aren't that bothered, and there are some clubs who quite like it. Um, and even within a Championship, I'd say the same. There are, there are there are clubs that are really up for it. And there are clubs that are not that bothered. I don't, I, there are, I don't meet many in the EFL who, who hate it. I mean, one or two bits of it. But I can't reveal all the many clubs that so will be sort of giving a lot away. But there's mm. some quite surprising clubs who don't mind this idea at all. Don't mind it. And you're right, a lot of it is in the implementation. So, you know, how would an independent regulator work? Where would it sit, like, physically... How big would it be? The scope of its powers. Various compromises have have, have been looted. And 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 one that appeared to be the sort of popular one was that it would be sort of sit close to the FA. And perhaps, you know, sort of share well, maybe some share some staff and there would be a little bit of overlap. I mean, that that's not that's not great because that's not full independence, but these are the things that people do want to sort out, and the Premier League have obviously pushed back hard. The Premier League, is an organisation, pushed back hard. You know what? What? What's it for? And there's there's also, I think, a quite a strong body of opinion out there that just needs to be convinced that regulation kind of works. And I often hear this: Well, what has regulation done for the water industry? What's it done for da 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 da? And it's, it's a little bit of what it, and it's sort of. Yes, there's, there's 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 poor poor useless waste of time regulation, and there's effective regulation. Um, you know, Tracy Krautz wasn't advocating rubbish regulation. Hmm. She her back, her background is financial services, and she was thinking in terms of you know how how that industry is regulated. It's not perfect, but there is but there but there is a model there. That that works, and that, and that certainly in the last fifteen years, sort of post two thousand eight crash, has 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 been effective, um, and that's what she was thinking. Now, making that work for football, yeah, there's there's more thought that is required, and she was she was quite careful in that she wasn't too prescriptive. You know, she did she she did want her document, her re- review, to be the beginning of a conversation as to how we make this work. And unfortunately, what's happened is people have just gone, yeah, 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 let's do it, let's do it now. And the other lot have gone, no, 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 this is a dreadful idea. So there hasn't been a conversation. Mm. You know, football hasn't taken her invitation to, I genuinely think independent regulation is a great idea. And a lot of people have gone, yeah, yeah, that's a great idea. But there hasn't then been the conversation, the grown up adult conversation about, oh, all right then, well, let's try to make this work. What does it mean? So that's the problem. Can we get there? Yeah, we can get there. Will we get there? I honestly don't
0: know. Well, we've got loads more to get through uh, before you have to leave us. We better move on. Uh, I think we could probably talk about that all day. Um, But the other big story dominating um, the EFL off the field in the media in the last couple of months has been uh, the TV rights with um, the Sky deal expiring in 2024. Um, Reports, obviously I'm not privy to any of this, but reports that... Um, the EFL are looking at, at options in terms of streaming, looking at the possibility of getting rid of the 3pm blackout. Um, there was a report in the National Press around a, I think, a, a Danish streaming company already being sounded out. Um, it, it feels like things might be changing uh, in terms of the way that the EFL is marketed, at least worldwide, if not nationally. Um, do you have any update on on, on what... Where the EFL are on this, and, and what it could mean, um, long term for the for the future of the TV rights.
1: No, no real update, but I could only, you know, kind of confirm that that all those things are in play. Um, that Sky deal was was a controversial deal. It took a while to get over the line. It it, it, it took almost like over a year, I think, to actually be signed. Um, and it was Sean Harvey's, uh, the former chief executive, sort mm. of last piece of work. It it's um it still divides people. There was a sort of perception among some championship clubs that it was a disaster. Uh it was a five year deal. There was an increase um, uh on the previous deal um clubs like Derby, Leeds, Villa who were who were EFL at the time, were furious. They thought they'd be massively underchanged. Um they thought they'd given away way too many rights to sky particularly in terms of streaming and the sky doesn't show everything and da, 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 da. And, and and those clubs made life pretty hard for harvey and the rest of the EFL on the flip side it was a decent increase over the previous one at a time when the other domestic deals including the premier leagues were running out of steam and I think I'm right in saying it was. It, it's the last big bump that English football has got domestically, and did give them certainty, and you know, it's given them certainty during this. You know what we were saying after, in the sort of first answer, or you know talking about COVID, um, and 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 has looked better over time, but the world has changed, mm. and. Again, there's a sort of COVID element to this. We got used to being able to watch a lot of football, and we're five years further down the road of the sort of streaming. It's not a revolution anymore; it's reality, isn't it? You know, it, talking about Netflix is, is is old hats. You know, people and, and this idea that we everybody knows now, everybody knows that you can watch a hell of a lot of football abroad loads and there are ways to watch it at home. So um, the world has changed and this idea that you sort of you hand over all these rights to this massive inventory of games to Sky and they're only really interested in in some of them. It does seem a bit weird. Um, So these pressures that have always been there are now Open for, for everyone to see. There is no. Oh right, I don't know I, I don't. How, how would streaming work? You know, hmm. no one needs to be explained. No, no one, you don't need to explain that to anyone. So now, yeah, I think everything is on the table, um, and um, you know, the idea that there is only one kind of player in town, it has to be Sky. No, um, you know, do you go a different route? And, and choose a, I don't know, a different broadcast, be it BT or a new entry, to really love you, to really kind of go, yeah, what's, what's the EFL got? It's got massive inventory of games. It's got clubs in every town. It covers the entire length of the country. We could make this the absolute centerpiece of our strategy, of our kind of broadcasting strategy. That was, a, that was one of the ideas that was mm. pitched to BT. Uh, not that long ago, about a decade ago, before they went all in on European football. By the way, there were senior people at BT that thought it fit better with their company ethos. But anyway, they went a different way. Um, so, so you you've got that. You, you know, could is the EFL now kind of popular enough, sexy enough, attractive enough to break it up into packages to have more than one broadcast partner? I think that's interesting as a concept. Is the EFL the perfect? um pilot, if you like, for English football, British football to go direct to consumer. You know, the Premier League have been talking, thinking about this for years. Um and do they do it with a sort of small overseas market? Could the could the EFL, you know, again, you know, be, be that be that sort of test, be that be that lab for them. All of these things are being discussed. All of them. And then, of course, you know you've got the whole "I follow" mm. element to it as well. So there's a, there's a lot at play. I I don't have any new updates apart from telling you stuff that you and your listeners will already know. All of these things are being discussed, and there are lots of different ideas and theories out there. Um, the, the next EFL deal is going to be fascinating to see which way we go.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think. I'd probably be biased here, having been part of Sky's coverage over the last kind of few years. But I do think there there is a case here for EFL fans of thinking the grass might be greener, um, where, you know, when you only have realistically one channel to show live games on, um, it's very hard to to kind of compete with streaming services. But having, you know, worked with the people who, who work in the EFL team at Sky, you know, the, I think the level of coverage and detail that is given to this, what is effectively the second, third, and fourth league must be unparalleled across the world, I would have thought, mm. in terms of yep. um, the resource and the the coverage that those leagues do get. And whilst I'm aware that League Two fans probably wish there was more League Two football on TV, realistically, when there is, again, one channel, um, it, it, you know, it's a supply and demand thing and, and it's got to be a business decision. So, um, and, you know, as in the job that I do, um, I have at times been had legal, I should say, access to three o'clock games. Um, I live an hour and 45 minute drive probably from the Kassam Stadium. So when I go and watch, use my season ticket at Oxford, it's basically a four hour round journey. And I can categorically tell you that if I look outside on a Saturday morning and I see it's raining and it's cold, and I know that I could either sit on the sofa and watch it on my sofa and then, you know, close the laptop or turn off the TV at 10 to five and be at home or I can do the round trip, even for me. And I love live football and I would normally still get in the car. It's a decision to be made. And it does worry me that if you get rid of that 3pm blackout, yes, clubs. And this is one thing I want to ask you. Clubs will want to chase the golden egg of streaming and be able to market worldwide and be able to you know, try and bring in massive audiences. It feels like taking a 1% chance for what is, you know, sacrificing match day revenue and your core local su- support and and do you know are clubs from what you know generally willing to take that chance like are they are they looking at the streaming option or does the idea of getting rid of the 3pm blackout um fill them with dread
1: it it depends who you ask i mean mm. yeah. have a look on twitter on on a monday <laughs> you you'll see andy holt <laughs> you know yeah. Uh, and it, and it provokes a lively debate, and you can see, you can see how the debate tends to break down. It you're absolutely right; these are key business decisions, right? Um, do we kind of rip up that model that has worked by and large for 100 plus years of incentivizing, prioritizing, maximizing the matchday fan, the pie, the pint, the program? the ancillary spend around the ground, that direct relationship, the most direct relationship we have with our customers. Sell them stuff. Physically sell them stuff. Or do we risk you know losing some of that? 10, mm. 15, 25%. Well we they lost it. They lost it during COVID. So they so they they know they know the value of that fan. But do they do they do they try and replace that? Now, all businesses know that things change, you know, our business, right? Papers. Fewer people buying the physical products. You don't stop printing papers. Mm. In fact, you you know, you, you move. You move gradually, you know, behind paywalls, websites, apps, etc., podcasts. And you replace that physical one pound, one pound fifty, whatever it is these days, purchase for something else. And the football clubs have this same dilemma. Um, now, it's not the same for all of them. Now, I don't mean to pick on Andy's club, Eckhart and Stanley. You know is, is, you know, is the classic community club. It supports its town and it's supported by its town. Those are his customers. But he does share a league. Wonderful! This is this is this is the magic. This is this is this is this genuinely is English football's unique selling point: the pyramid that there are that there is a league where there's an Accrington, but there's equally an Ipswich, and you know recently a, you know a Sunderland and all that, and uh, and a Plymouth, and mm. all the other big clubs: Sheffield Wednesday, Derby County, who, who who may who do have an audience abroad? Who do they do? Mm. But there are half, Eckerton's not the only club that would not sell that many streams. Mm. So, how, to how, so, how do you, you know, it's hard enough already within English football to get the distribution right. So, that, that is the challenge. And mm. it's, it's, I'm not saying it's easy, but equally, I, I, I've worried about the three o'clock for a while that it, it, it's it feels from another time and there is so much illegal streaming, so much piracy going on, that I, I just worry that, that if you if you resist that for too long, you end up really damaging damaging the product, damaging the, the value of rights. I, I, and I don't know exactly when that moment comes, but I sense we're very close.
0: So, from the the general to the kind of specific, and you know, most fans listening to this will probably have some questions about their club uh, off the field, uh, but we don't have time to go through seventy-two. Um, so, we'll cover off some of the high-profile ones. And obviously, important to, to remember that you are out in Qatar, so um, have bigger fish to fry uh, over the last kind of ten days or so. Um, but let's talk about Birmingham yeah. and West Brom, who are two yeah. kind of big EFL clubs who are yeah. you know going through changes behind the scenes uh, with, with Birmingham. Yeah. It's been a, a pretty long drawn out takeover with Maxi Lopez and Paul Richardson um including some pretty uh, interesting stuff. Uh subplots with you know Bassini's yeah, yeah. Uh, tirade on talksport oh. and the EFL charge. Yeah. Um 30th of November seems to be the kind of date in Birmingham fans' diaries. Um where are we in terms of that of that takeover?
1: Well it's a really good question. Look um I've not been in touch with them for 10 days, two weeks, but I was in regular contact with them before, talking to people around the game as well. The the issue of Birmingham is, there's there's several, but I think the key one is the current ownership. And there's a a theme here. The wave of Chinese investment in European football, English football in particular, is, is over. None is it over, it was a disaster. Mm. Um, with Wolves perhaps being the, the single exception, but Wolves, that's coming to an end as well. I know it's not. Your show. It might be It's all over. It might be. It's all over, right? They've all been told to, to get out, close those positions, come home. Some of them in a state of disarray. Some of them it's a more orderly retreat like Wolves. Birmingham is, a, is an example of a disorderly retreat and a ludicrously opaque, uh, confusing ownership structure that almost certainly broke rules in the mm-hmm. past. And this is, you know, you know, the EFL gets, as I said, some things right. It gets some things wrong. Sometimes it's just totally out of its depth. Um, this is one of those examples. So you have a a problem of a club that is hand-to-mouth at the moment. Stadium is a mess. Okay, work's happening there. Um, They've they've been in trouble in recent seasons. Who really owns them? Who who is it? And the EFL rightly being very concerned about sanctioning a takeover that everybody knows must happen. Everyone knows that. But being very concerned about future litigation, someone coming out of the woodwork saying, Hold on a minute, someone sold my shares. That person mm. did not have the right. I I have a piece of paper here that, that stands up in court in this jurisdiction to say, I've been wronged. Now that would be a disaster. You then get into whole competitive integrity issues around, you know, around a league. It's just a nightmare for a, for a competition organizer. So you've got the classic sort of Birmingham, or it doesn't matter which club it is, you know, club, financial issues must be, must be, must be sold. You know, a group who are there in place, some, some questions to ask about how much money they have and, um, legitimate questions that the, you know, they, you know, they, they perhaps over-promised. You know the the infamous, the deal is done in the in the car park was unwise, mm-hmm. but you know, Richard's a fan. He's been trying to trying to get the club for a while. Pasini was just a clown. I'm sorry. Um, um, I don't know why. Much. I don't apologising or why i be shot by that. But <laughs> but um, um, the issue is is how do you sanction? That takeover when you don't have key answers. Who's selling the club? Okay, I, can I have a word with them, please? Mm. Right? Are you okay with this? Okay, great. What uh, if you now own the club? Have you ever done the owners and directors test? Because <laughs> that's a problem. So we've got like sort of we've got various things going on there, and it's a mess. It's a mess. Mm. And you know the, the you know the the owners people on the paperwork don't really want to sell at the moment because they have this Hong Kong thing and that's valuable. It's more valuable than the club. Oh, you know, it's just, it, it, we could be talking about a different club and a different hmm. dynamic where the property's worth more than the club. But it all boils down to this, this horrible sort of zombie ownership that, that don't give them monkeys about football, never gave them monkeys about football, won't get out of the way because they can't get out of the way. Um, and the EFL... Stuck in the middle, so there, there are no good answers at the moment at Birmingham. None. However, apart from you know the, the fact that that they've uh, certainly last time I looked they were playing pretty well. They managed to get some young players together, and um, and there was some hope and optimism on the pitch. So mm. yeah, a, a competent running of a football club, shocking, shocking, and shameful running of a business.
0: Yeah, I think that's about right. And I think Craig Craig Gardner and Johnny Sisters have a lot of credit for the way that they are and getting stuff sorted on the pitch. Um one takeover that looks like it is going to get done yeah. that we won't be able to speak about at length here is Coventry with Doug King uh, buying yeah. the club. Um finally, um there are stadium issues with a you know a twenty-five million pound bid from King to buy it, seemingly um not being successful with Mike Ashley. Having an exclusivity about around a 17 million pound bid. Um, and then William Story, who Sunderland fans yeah. remember, tweeting that he's yeah. consulting his yeah, lawyers. Yeah, yeah. Mike Ashley, yep. William Storey. Um, yeah, names of of uh yeah, ghosts of Christmas past in the in the yeah for, well in the football world, really. Um that might set some alarm bells ringing for commentary fans. But let's hope um that Doug King's takeover goes through and is successful. But let's just quickly touch on mess Bron before we let you go. Um, Gro Channel, yeah. their 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 owner um admitting to borrowing money from the club, he hasn't paid back. Um old yeah. MSD holdings from Derby County time popping up yeah. again. West Brom fans pretty terrified. Um and unlike Birmingham and Coventry, seemingly no light at the end of
1: the tunnel at the moment. No, no. I, I'm I've been talking to our West Brom correspondent about this for a while, and you know, I know there's some good reporting coming and it's already been done. I don't mean to terrify anyone, but um, West Brom are a concern, a big concern for me. Uh, And again, it's that Chinese issue. It's that kind of retreat of Chinese money. Is it going to be done in an orderly way or is it going to be done in a disorderly way, like kind of Wigan? Um, I'm very concerned about West Brom. Um, They are not having the sensible, serious conversations that they need to be having. They're not being realistic about the price. Um, there is a mess that lies taking money out, um, and they don't appear to be honest about how it's going back in, or don't be, appear to be straightforward and punctual about how it's going back in. You know, he's like the Glazers; he's mm. taking dividends out of the club. It's it's him and the Glazers. You know, the Premier League, the Premier League, the parachute money that appears to have gone. Um, I've not looked recently. They weren't playing very well. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm worried about West Brom. Very worried.
0: Yeah, things getting a bit better under Carlos Corberan, but uh, yeah, off the pitch. Um, Yeah, reasons for concern. Uh, Matt, thank you very much for taking the time Uh, out of your busy schedule in Qatar to to talk to us. And um, yeah, hopefully when we speak to you again soon, the Birmingham takeover has gone through. William Story is not threatening legal action against commentary anymore, and West Brom are under under new ownership The fans can get behind.
1: Yeah, indeed. All right. Cheers, Matt. Thank you. Speak soon. Good luck with everything. All right, take care. Bye-bye.